I had Buffalo Wild Wings. I feel, oh, I feel yeah. gross. Honestly, I feel gross. Why? Because I ate way too much. Sad. But I can understand that with Buffalo Wild Wings. Oh, yeah. Um, I got a... Well, someone ordered for me because I was busy at the time, and I asked for no. like I asked for like twelve twelve Wanger Dews, twelve Wang Brothers, and I wanted a I wanted half Asian Zhang and half Caribbean Jerk, and then when I show up, what they did was they got they ordered a small of the Asian Zhang and a small of the Caribbean Jerk, so I got twenty four Wangs. Now I didn't eat all the Wangs because that would have been truly horrendous, but I ate. All the zangers and some of the jerkers, so I just feel don't, don't call them that. Sorry, but um, yeah, I, I saw uh, someone get heroin pulled out of their ass today. How's your day going? Um, better than yours, I guess. That's not a bad day. Oh, that's not a what's a bad day? Um, I don't know. You pull pull heroin out of someone someone's ass, and then they poop on you, or you get vomited on. If you're just pulling the heroin out of their ass, and it's mostly clean, it just stinks. You know, it's not that big and of a deal. Do you ever have the situation where uh, you pull the heroin out of someone's ass, and they say, "That's not mine." <laughs> How'd that get there? You uh, planted that there. Ah, uh, my friend Joey's always putting stuff up my butt. What a prank he played this time. Usually it's just regular stuff, but this this time it was heroin. But um, yeah, it is a, uh, it is July the tenth. Be with you, uh, another glorious you know, day. What? Giant bomb. Recently, they said it again. They said like, July, July the third. Be with you. Last week, and I just thought to myself like, what the fuck, dude? There, that is, there is very few things that I can claim to own. But if, if, if one thing I can allow myself to claim to own was that for over, for at this point, longer than the course of a year, I have been doing the X be with you. It is the X, the X be with you. And I think I have social copyright on that. And I don't like Giant Bomb. You know, I know that we're big Giant Bomb fans, but maybe it turns out that Giant Bomb is big WTDG fans, you know? At least Ben is, right? Yeah. He's probably a, he's probably a nerd. He probably would would listen to some like backroads, you know, podcasts like like us. Like everyone. I mean, if you're in the industry all the time, like I imagine the way I imagine our our viewers and they're not viewers. And this is a joke that I am stealing, not the other thing that that's, I did. That's a good one. That's a good one though. Um, is that? And no one knows that reference, right? I don't think people have to knows know that, that reference. reference. O- only only people born in the '90s will get this one. That's a that's a joke that I have that's original. I'm gonna hold on. I'm gonna pop open some celts. Ooh, mango cherry. Who makes mango cherry? Is that polar? That's polar. It's seasonal. Um, yeah, I feel like the way I imagine our weird viewership is uh, that they're friends and family slash people who have gone so hard down the video game, or apparently at this point the. Uh, the table topping uh, rabbit hole that they're like, you know, where where they're like walking around like in on the internet. If the internet were manifested as like a city, as a cyber city in Blade Runner, and they're scratching themselves and they're like, I gotta get my fix. I gotta get something more deep or something more ridiculous and arcane. And then they cross a corner and they see us and we're like, We'll talk to you about board games, friend. Come on down. 
do you want to talk about pizza strategies and food chain magnate, but also talk for 30 minutes about a recent Dragon Ball Fighters update? And then the guy's like, and Jurassic World. And, and Jurassic, how bad Jurassic World was. And the guy's like, oh my God, that's a Venn diagram that is just a circle. That's uh, For whatever reason, I'm into both like weirdly specific games and tabletop things and pop culture at the same time and i like pe- when i like it when people go into excruciatingly boring detail do you, you there's got to be like a lot of people who are into the exact thing that we do and have no idea we exist yeah that i mean that's 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 frustrating it's like the, that's that's gotta be the point of advertising i bet that there's if we advertised like i've always thought like if we like you know tried to put our our name out there on like something big like a bim bam or something like that then it's too easy though right yeah, I mean, I mean, I feel like there would be a good crossover, and I just feel like there you would at least get one person that's just like, "This is it. This is it. This is what I've been looking for." I, I, or, 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 or instead, they, they, the extra viewers unveil our latent racism that we're constantly spewing, but have no idea. But somebody picks up on it and says, "Listen, if you." Uh, you know, listen to the podcast backwards at this speed. Uh, you can actually hear Kirby being anti-Semitic. For, Fourteen eighty-eight. Am I doing it right? And and you know that's Do I have something to cut that, that out? with increased viewers. You got to worry about. Yeah, I mean, I, I I I gotta like I'll I'll kneel down on the sacrificial altar and say right away. If you put it, you put two white males on a podcast, you're not getting anything good. We we've known that we've known that for the past two hundred episodes. There's nothing, there's nothing good that can come out of this. I mean, it, by episode three hundred, we're gonna start saying, you know, uh, you know, like you know, maybe you know, whites should you know live in their own society, and then you know, five hundred more episodes later, and oh man, we're just forming our own uh, like horrible geopolitics, and uh, but you know, for the time being, before we get into uh, the the dark era of WTDG when we, you know, start asking for extermination of non board game players. That's more fun or relevant. We should actually talk about um, uh, you know, video games or board games or something, right? Games games related. That's not about bigotry and hatred. Which is what we've been you know, for the last two hundred episodes, James. We have been all about bigotry and, and hatred. So maybe we should make one podcast that is just. Now's the time to turn it around. Now's the time to turn it around. Now's the time. That if you're if you're coming in on this episode, yes, it's true. Okay, I'll admit it. The last two hundred episodes, every single word has been just. It's been it's been a, an approximately an hour to two hours of us both yelling racial slurs and being insensitive. But guess what? Uh, you know what? I, I on this July the tenth, I thought, why am I so angry? I don't get it. Why am I so angry? I don't have anything you know, to be angry for. You know what should make you angry is that we we don't have the viewers, uh, and that in missing these viewers or listeners or don't call them viewers, um, we don't have people sending us free stuff. I found out this week that Paul is the executive producer on a on a board game podcast. And viewers or, or some people involved with it sent him Anachrony and all of the expansions for it. I don't know what that is, but what the why, why didn't I get that? Why didn't we get that? Anachrony is a worker placement game. Paul, Paul is a... 
Well, I wonder what Paul's opinion on Scythe is. I think that his opinion on Scythe is sort of like um, a shrug. If a shrug were words. Okay, well, that was his opinion on Charterstone, and, and I love Charterstone. Maybe he, maybe he's just a Steg hater, a Stone hater, a Jamie Stegmeyer hater, or a Stone. Might actually... He's just one of those classic industry Stone haters. So Anachrony is a worker placement game with uh, variable powers where you play as um, uh, these, you know, different factions and... Uh, Essentially what happens in Anachrony is you are traveling through time. And as you travel through time, you're able to give, take, essentially take resources away from you in the future and pull them into the past. But later in the game, if you don't go back and correct those, those you know, resource giving, let's say you give yourself gold from the future if you don't go back and correct that, you create time paradoxes and anomalies. And if you do that, uh, that's something that's going to cause like problems for you down the road where uh, at some point you're going to get uh, like, like rifts are going to open in your nation and those rifts are going to cause problems that essentially you're going to have to sacrifice workers. You're going to have to throw workers into the rift to sort of satisfy the, the god of time and, and fix your mistakes. Wow. But the really cool thing about it is that this game takes place over... That wasn't the really cool thing about it? There's another cool thing about it, which is that halfway through the game, this cataclysm occurs. And after the cataclysm, uh, sort of the way that you interact with the board radically changes. So uh, your workers are essentially placed into these exosuits. And if they're placed into an exosuit, they can be placed on the board. If you can't place them in the exosuits, then they can only uh, be placed, you know, throughout your city in, in um, structures that you've created. So essentially you have to send people out in exosuits uh, to gather new resources or to find the technology required so that you can build uh, new structures within your own base. And once you've sort of developed those structures in your own base, then you don't have to send out as many workers into the into the uh, damaged lands. The fallout. But there's a bit of a trade-off because the good stuff is out there on the damaged planet. And you're sort of competing with the other players for spaces out there. So you sort of want to have an idea of looking at, okay, how many exosuits is the other players going to ante up? How many should I then ante up in sort of to contend with them and uh similar to other games like argent or similar to other games like um even castles of burgundy which isn't really a worker placement game there is sort of this way that you interact with other players where uh you sort of know what they want and you want to place your worker there just so that they can't get it for free just to sort of mess with their strategy enough enough where it's like hey we're playing the same game. One, one thing that I don't like is uh, board games that sort of devolve into solitaire or sort of devolve into everyone is building their own engine and no one is really interacting with one another. And I think that games like Anachrony and, you know, to an extent, Charterstone actually like strike a fine balance of like interactivity 
and also, you know, building your own engine and doing your own thing. I, I really because, like the way that Charterstone does it. Like, I, I just, just to, uh, on that point, because I think Charterstone probably walks, like, the Razor's Edge, like, perfectly for me, because you're, it's, if you can guess players' turns ahead or you're playing smart, it more is, like, a benefit to you rather than a hindrance yeah. to them. And there's no, like, yeah, there's no real take that. What? You get those free turns. Yeah, like like in guessing that someone is like, oh yeah, they probably have the resources now to go to the Charter Stone. I'll do that before they do it. Uh, and like, you know, you're seeing what they're doing almost like in like, uh, you know, Food Chain Magnet or something where it's like you see that they're going before that on turns. Maybe you'll like go behind them slowly also picking up resources and then maybe try and get ahead of them just before they go do something or you know that the next part of what they're going to need the next resource they're going to need is this so like may as well go there because it's higher value for you because that way you just get bumped back and for them like the like you didn't hinder them and they still had a plan that isn't like oh now everything is screwed over i have to rethink this um but but for you it's like you got a little reward you get you know you don't get as many wasted turns yeah, but that's not to say that Food Chain Magnate isn't extremely cutthroat because uh, it's hard to say, oh, in Food Chain Magnate, like where you do this, where it's not like, oh, in Food Chain Magnate, where you're just constantly trying to fuck people. Yeah, you're just constantly like trying to put a, a big radio station and then have everyone so horny for lemonade that for the rest of the game, all your people who went down the pizza tech tree are just pizza fucked. You know advertising is important but even more important than that every single time that i play food chain magnate i learn something new or i learn some new strategy whether it's like placing new restaurants and like opening the drive-through or whether it's just like going to an isolated location on the map and just planting down gardens and planting down new houses and using the airplane campaigns there's there's a lot going on in that game that's a pretty good game it's a pretty good game I guess. No, I don't guess. It's an excellent game. Uh, but I, I'm getting to a point with with modern day board games where I'll pick up something like Anachrony and I'll be like, okay, so this has elements of games X, Y, Z. And I'm getting really fast at learning these games because of it. Yeah. I kind of like, so uh, I, I, I remember, uh, I think it was like Tom Vassell or something. I was looking at his like older review or something of Scythe. And what one thing I like so far about Scythe, I could be like totally way outside of the right for this, but I, I feel like Scythe itself is interesting because it combines so many things at the same time that it's almost entirely unique in in that. Like I feel like it has some completely unique elements, but it's also combining a lot of other elements to the point where it's its whole another thing. So it's not even like fair enough to say it's like this. It's more like Scythe is like Scythe, and then there probably will be more Scythe games scythe like games in the future i don't know we'll see i don't i don't think that any game is no i mean no game is like fully fully itself like you know that's that's any artistic property ever right like no no book has ever been original millennium blades definitely the most unique that i've seen but also i had this um you know what pisses me off i i always think about this whenever i use the word unique and I had this professor in college that said that unique is not a quantity because something cannot be more unique than something else. And that is bullshit because something can be more unique than something else. Uh, Because two things 
like uniqueness is a quantifiable trait because everything is built up of tiny, smaller features. And a number of those features could be unique. Uh, and the, you know, number of which features is unique is quantifiable. So fuck that guy. Well, I don't know if it's, uh, it's just that that's quantifiable. I feel like it's more what stands out, right? Like it's not necessarily that it has a bunch of little parts that are unique. It's more that like the parts that stand out to you that make it that thing are unique and then therefore making the overall product unique. But you do think that things can be more unique than other things, right? Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Absolutely. But with that in mind, Millennium Blades, the most unique. I mean, I, I mean, in your in your exact example, like Scythe has more elements of other traditional tabletop games like, you know, worker placement, uh, you know, moving. You have stuff like the variable faction powers and stuff you have or like resource managing and like all this other stuff you have like slight like you know combat stuff like that so it does have a lot of uh pre-existing mechanisms um but uh i think that yeah like like millennium blades is if they're both unique millennium blades is more unique i don't know i I don't know that there's a big uh huge like trading card simulate ccg simulator market going on right now uh, I know that you've bought some games this week, Twilight Imperium, and uh, what was the other one? Dead of Winter. Dead of Winter. That's great. So you've got you've got three new games. Have you played any games? Um, I played a, like two rounds of Scythe, uh, mostly. Wow. Uh, Just a, a two-player, three-player? How did uh, you two, play that? Two-player with... Um, uh, two player with Autumn, uh, Atama and one player with Atama. And uh, what does that game play like? Um, really something else. Like I, I really am getting more and more interested in it. But is it too complicated for a for a podcast? I don't think so. I think that I th- I mean I'm not gonna get into like the weeds on it uh, because I think that's that part is impossible. But. I'll just say like what makes me excited for it, which I think are elements that can make anyone excited for something. Um, so one of the one of the things right out the gate that I really like about Scythe, um, uh, and before you even get into like the actual playing of the game, is that there are a ridiculous amount of ways to win this game. There are so many ways to win this game at the same time that I think it would be astounding to be playing a five-player game and have any idea what anyone else is actually thinking about doing because there are so many things um, at work at the same time. Uh, the, the main thing that ends the game is that everyone has these, like, six achievement stars, and you get achievements for doing all these things, like uh, you build these mechs, so it's like, you know, producing all four of the mechs that you're allowed to have on the board. Um, stuff like uh, completing objectives, which is like a secret objective given to you almost like Gloomhaven style before the, the, the game even starts. Um, stuff like winning combat once, stuff like winning combat a second time, stuff like um, upgrading your board or doing all these other things. There's so many different things you can do to put down your achievement stars. And once someone has done that last achievement star, then the game ends. That is actually 
uh, not the only way that the game ends anymore after some of the expansions. Because uh, one of the interesting things I think about Scythe is that uh, people had, when, when I when I look back at all the reviews, people had complaints with it. And all those complaints have been fixed by Jamie Stegmeier a- after the fact with other expansions with like the wind gambit and the new races and stuff like that. And with um, this thing called resolutions, which are these like, I think there's like 12 different ones, but they're these like basically cards where you can randomize them or pick the one you want and it changes what the end game is. So, but well, now I'm, now I'm getting too far. Okay. So there, so what makes me understand because that's um, something that a lot of games do. Uh, That is something that Anachrony does and I don't know if you're familiar. I, I sort of have explained the way the Argent works, but in Argent, uh, your the win conditions are on face down cards. Yeah, you told me that. There are things that you can do to reveal them to yourself. Yeah, there's a, there's some really cool stuff though. It's it's um there. So yeah, there's the resolutions that can add even more ways to win the game. There's uh, a huge list of different things to you spend your six stars on to uh, finish the game. Then there's all these other ways to be winning the game as it's going. Um, there's a a whole nother system of another randomized set of tiles that uh, change how getting you get extra points based on uh, where you built uh, your monuments and where you built, you know, your structures and stuff. Um, so that it makes like, it adds extra value onto certain spots. Cause it's like, Oh, I need to build a, uh, on top of like this type of area, but it needs to be next to something. And so you're like, everyone is, you know, rushing towards those things. Um, and, uh, there's, there's tons of like interesting random elements to the game before the game starts. And then after that, the game is not very random. So I really like appreciate those kind of things. Cause it kind of reminds me about some of the stuff that I really like about food chain magnate. And that's that, uh, that like the setup of the areas is kind of random. And then at yes. the beginning of the game, you're kind of dealing with like slight randomness, but then like it, it it's not really that crazy. It's not like a frustrating die roll. It's more like, uh, you know, here's what I got to deal with. And then the smart players will realize like how to make sense of the original randomness. And then after that, nothing is really random. So the Scythe is similar in that way. It's not dice Chucky and like a lot of random elements in the beginning go into starting the game and then it's not random anymore. All right. Uh, but, but I think probably, one of my favorite things about the the way it works and all the random elements that happen before the game starts that kind of uh, go so far into, uh, you know, what the game, the, what that individual round of the game will be like is that uh, when players start, everyone randomly gets dealt a faction and then randomly gets dealt a player mat and... The combination of those is probably one of the most interesting things in the game to me. Um, so the factions are asymmetrical, and then all the player mats are asymmetrical, and you're basically getting a combination of them that work yeah. in an interesting way to me because you're because like it's going to be the kind of thing where not only do the value of 
certain strategies rise or lower with like all the other random elements going into like what are you getting extra victory points for what's like you know your objective this round what's your uh like where are you supposed to build your structures and all this other stuff and like who else is on the board and where are they and like what's the prime real estate that they might go for but the fact that like every game you're going to start off and you're going to like look at your faction and see okay this is what we can do and then you look at your player mat and it's like okay well this is also really what we can basically do and here's going to be like my big hindrance and like trying to figure out the the uh synergy between those and like what what in the overall puzzle of this current game of scythe is the best strategy for for you specifically and like what hand you've been dealt yeah sounds like there's definitely some similarities between anachrony i'm sure that anachrony uh you know stems from scythe in a way mm-hmm in that you also have your own player mat and you have those variable player powers. However, uh, in in um, Anachrony, the character and the mat are one and the same. So there is that bit of difference. Yeah, it's really cool. Like the uh, the the I, and then I, I the I was reading the um, the the rule book for Scythe, and Jamie Stegmeier wrote all these things in like margins in the rule book about his thoughts going into designing this game and there's some really like interesting stuff from like uh his perspective as like a really prolific game designer um all the factions have a all the factions like core perk is a break to a major rule and he designed he designed it like that because he's like there's a lot of complicated rules in the game and one of the ways that I knew I could have players like learning them as they're playing, even if they like remembered them originally and maybe forgot them over time, is that if they see that their faction mat is saying like, oh, now your workers can cross water, then you remember something like, oh, yeah, even if I have water walking, my wa- my workers can never cross rivers or anything. Uh, but uh, or or how one of the races is allowed to like constantly do the same thing over and over again and normally that's also a rule is that you're not allowed to do the exact take the exact action uh two rounds in a row but like one race is able to break that um so there's a lot of like interesting stuff in all the races having like a major break to the rules um and that's really really cool uh the the player mats thing is like it's really the kind of thing where like I, I I want it to be because I had watched a couple review I had watched a couple like I watched like the how to play version of it, uh, uh, like video okay. and I feel like it never really stuck with me what the game was going to be like and how I was supposed to play it like I like it's like I had this big thing of rules in my right. head but I didn't know like when you put those together like what is the motion of it and uh, the player boards are like they are like impenetrable the first second you look at them like i feel like it's the kind of thing that like someone would look at it and just be like like turn their brain off and be like no there's yeah, no way like, one of icons on it yeah it's like one it's, by one start to understand what the icons are it is like a all. million things and it is so elegant and it, it's so interesting the way that elegant 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 yeah we and we just ripped that joke from uh from another show from, but, shut know. up and sit down um it's so elegant because it what it does is like once you have a cursory understanding of like what the little symbols on the player mats mean then you can 
really quickly get a an understanding of like, oh man, okay, so my mat is really bad at this, and it's really good at this. So should I like push towards this first and expand out in that direction? And if I do expand out in that direction, what's the kind of like end game result? Like what kind of achievements are going to be going for? Is one of those not going to be pop uh, like like possible at all with this kind of player mat that I've gotten? Um, and there's some really cool stuff uh, about how the way that moving things around your player mat works. So yeah. like, like a, a, like a really quick example of it is like, you know, there'll be something where it's like to take a move action, you're allowed to move two different units and it'll show you a little symbol for like moving one unit and moving two units. And then there's a little square peg or a little, uh, not a peg, I guess, but a little square on the, the mat and it's blocking the icon below, which is another symbol for moving. So when you get an upgrade, you're able to take that off and then put that over something that has a cost. So maybe something costs four wood and suddenly you get the upgrade and you're allowed to move any of your, you know, things that are basically blocking the advantage you're supposed to get and move it down to, to something you have to pay. So you, you take that little square peg off the picture that shows that, that you, um, another movement icon and then you move it down there. And then that thing that you wanted to build that was for, for wood or for lumber you put it on top, and now when it says pay, the symbols are three lumber because one of them is being blocked. And then you look at your top, and the move thing used to be two symbols for movement, and now suddenly with that block on, it's three. And it's like, oh, yeah, so now whenever you take a movement action, you take three movement actions, and now whenever you want to build that thing, it costs one less to build because that's what your mat is showing. You know, like, I think that's really cool, the way that, like, moving stuff sure. around reminds you of all well, these no. different rules. And I bet that visually it makes sense, but you know, when you hear these things audially, it's like you're you're sort of your ears glaze over. Sure. You know? Yeah. I I mean the the main thing is just like the cool thing about the player mats is that they all have different balances to what they're allowed to do, and some have different costs or different benefits for doing things. And as you're putting your stuff down on the player mat, it like blocks off and highlights other things. And then as you're playing, you kind of move it around. So you never really need to be told like, okay, so now you do this, you're able to like move a little bit better. It's just that by doing it, the, your player mat just shows you. So it's kind of, so in that sense, it's kind of elegant the way that he was able to design all these boards that have their own unique rules. And instead of like reading this exhaustive faction thing of like, well, whenever you're, faction with this mat does this action it costs more here and less here and instead of doing all that out it just physically has like a reminder built into the board and i like that a lot um other than that uh the uh there's a lot that i do really really like about scythe um uh so many like individual elements of it like other than the i i like the variable powers i like the variable faction mats and the combination of them um i think that like the I really want to see it in a game with more people and with like, uh, like even better players or people who played it once or twice, like playing it twice in a row or something, to be able to like start to develop like metas to like oh they want to do this or they're this type of faction so they want to get into fights so uh, you know I'm worried about developing a border with them and stuff like that and getting yeah, into what is the max player limit on that seven wow that's a lot of people is that yeah, with or without it's vanilla no vanilla is one to five and the expansion okay. that i'm trying to get hopefully before my birthday is six and seven um but the cool thing is that even if you don't play with seven players you're able to obviously mix in the two new factions and 
two new faction boards, which means that there are there would be seven factions and seven player mats, and a, obviously a pretty cool combination. What is that? Forty nine different combinations. Yeah, I think something like that. Um, but that's pretty cool. Um, it also has like a really there's a lot of just rules of it that I think are like really brilliant. It's the kind of thing where uh, I. I I, I know this won't mean that much to you, but maybe after playing it, you'll you'll realize that like once the rules are explained to you, you can almost like never really make rules mistakes anymore because like the rules are so elegant and encompassing that that like understanding the way a lot of the rules are, you'll just instantly know, you know, like what the rules are and you don't yeah. really get into like too many complex situations of like, well, how does this resolve or anything like that? Yeah, I'm interested to play it. I'm also curious. Um, so it is worker placement, right? Yeah, it, um, like it. it is worker placement. Every hex in the game has a type of resource. So here's one of the things yeah. that I like the most about it. I don't actually know if any other games the really other thing I like the most. Go on. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it is worker placement. You start out with two workers and every hex on the board has a resource they'll produce. And one of those resources, weirdly enough, is villages that if you send a worker to it and then you produce on top of that space, then you produce another worker for every worker you have there. Um, so, okay. so you get to basically activate two of your hexes that, that, that there's different rules for like getting more of the hexes and stuff like that. Sure. But, you, but you basically activate these workers and they make whatever is on that space. So, so there's food and steel and oil and more work workers and lumber so you mean i can use a recruiting girl to recruit a recruiting girl yes yeah so um the the thing i think that so what, what i thought was so cool and what i really like is that when you produce you don't take those resources and put it over near you you put it on the hex and people can fight over that so like you're building up resources on a certain hex and uh, you have a lot of resources and you're like proud of this hex and it's going to get you a lot of like either if you've either were needing to build something in the future or maybe you're just going because at the end of the game you also count up re extra resources as um, a uh, victory point kind of thing like you like the more extra resources you have the more extra uh, points you get at the end of the game um, so maybe you've been like you know, safely building up like onto this one space, you just keep producing and producing and you're making so many resources. And that's a big part of this game is like, is like, you're going to have times where you produce like tons of like, you know, like 10 steel on one resource on one space. Cause every time you're producing, you keep producing on the space and anyone can walk in and fight you for it. Like you can't, you don't take it and put it over near you. Like you what wouldn't. Fighting? What? What is combat? Combat is, is... Combat chain magnate. Uh, what? Is it like combat in food chain magnate? Slightly. Um, so, uh, yeah, everyone has a an amount of strength. That's something that you're allowed to uh, work on and build up. Uh, and you basically, you also have these cards similar to almost like Blood Rage that have values on them. And uh, when you get into a combat, it's uh, for every combat unit you have, you're able to throw one of the extra, throw a card in that uh would you know add extra o to the overall points of like damage you're dealing and then you're also able to wager um you you have this little dial and you secretly spin it and you say you know how many of your combat points basically everyone can see how much 
strength you basically have and you wager it on a dial and then you stick in these cards that go into this basically like behind the spin dial and then you put it face down and then when people are ready you flip it over and and then it says oh yeah my dial says i got seven and i have two cards and one is five and three and then the other guy's like oh well shit mine is five and then i have one card and it's three so you you lose and then when they they lose it's not a huge huge punishment um it's a big deal to win because you take over the hex, you control it, which is a big deal. Uh, you control any resources or anything that they have on that hex, um, and you knock all their workers back into their starting spot. So no one dies. Like you don't like destroy their workers or their mechs or anything. Yeah. Um, and then you also get an achievement for it. So you make the game a little bit closer to ending. Um, yeah. Okay. I have a, I have a question for you. Um, do you get your resource when you place your worker? No. No. Okay, so I'm curious how I would really like you to play Argent, the consortium, to see how that game works. Cause there's some similarities. I've you know, I've referred to it as sort of like this musical chairs where everyone is placing their workers and then the round ends and where your workers are placed determines what resources you're gonna get going into the next round. No, it's not remotely like that because this is like an actual, you know, physical board. So you're moving your workers. You're not able to like pick up your yeah, worker. Yeah, there's and, an actual board and, in this, but it's no, variable. Yeah, but I, I guess what I mean is, yeah, I, I didn't say that right. I meant more like this is like a, you know, a representative of land of like a large land mass so you're like moving units you're not able you don't like take a worker and then plop it down on a space and say i get you know x resources for that like all the workers that you have like none of them get like plopped down in a random area to get resources uh, They're like, in a space, and they move across that yeah, space. Yeah, and then when you produce more workers, you're producing them at a village, so they're only ever appearing, you're only ever plopping them down on villages. Um, and, okay, I feel you. Yeah. So, so it's like civilization. Well, it has elements of civilization. Yeah, and the workers are really, really slow and frustrating to move around, which is why you have mechs. Are they, they basically... miniatures? Are these all miniatures? The workers are meeples and the mechs are miniatures. Yeah. So in um in an acrony, you have these really amazing miniatures. So the workers are these little cardboard standees, and then you slot them into the mechs, the exosuits. That is Very dope. Cool. Very cool. Uh, uh, but but one last thing that that expansion for Scythe, which is really cool, and I do, I just overloaded Scythe, so I'm not going to talk that much about the Wind Gambit, which yes is the coolest expansion name ever. Uh, adds flying airships, which are these crazy looking like 1920s oil tankers that fly through the sky, which is ridiculous. But the top of the minis for the oil tankers hold the resources and the people in it and move them around. Wow-ee. That's pretty cool, right? No? Wowee. I think that's pretty cool. You know, in the Argent, the consortium expansion, you get Technomancy. <laughs> Go, well, well, talk to my Black Rose Wars. I don't think they have Technomancy. You've been playing any video games? You know, uh, I think it's it's time to start talking a little bit about Octopath Traveler. Okay. Yeah. No interest. Tell me. Um, you have every. You you know exactly why I would be concerned. 
So I think the thing that surprised me about this game at the outset is actually that it's like an, it has like an open world element to it. So at the start of the game, you choose one of eight characters and the character that you choose is actually going to be uh, your protagonist until you beat the game. Uh, you have eight characters to choose from, obviously. And, and I think the thing that immediately made me interested in this game is some of the, you know, stranger classes that are available to you at the start. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, in a way, these are like sort of Square Enixy and uh, Bravely Default style classes like the dancer, the alchemist, the merchant. But but I do appreciate that they have options that are more than just like this is a Templar and this is a mage, obviously just a mage, and, you know, things like that. So each of these eight characters has something about them that is special to the, the way that they operate. So, for example, the alchemist is able to collect ingredients from the world and then craft, you know, spells out of them. So he gets like different reagents. So he might have a reagent that does uh, a small effect to one character or does a negative effect to an enemy. And then you combine that with the essence of pomegranate or the essence of ether. I love and it the has different effects depending on, on your base. So you have like a base and then like a catalyst or something like that that makes like a spell. Okay. And then you have another character like the hunter who is able to weaken enemies and then capture them. And once she captures them, then she can summon them in battle. So I thought that it was kind of cool how all of these characters have a different way that they operate. And I, I feel like you're having... jumping the gun a little bit because, like, I don't even know, like, like it is a traditional... Uh, it is a more... turn-based JRPG. Yeah, it is a more traditional turn-based JRPG. But um, so, so what does combat feel like? So combat feels like uh, you are... You randomly encounter enemies, which is kind of a pain in the ass, and I hope that at some point uh, you stop randomly encountering things. Uh, you don't at least like have the default. the bravely default mechanic to turn off or like lower random encounters. I'm hoping that that's that that's a thing. Uh, it's not in the demo, uh, but you encounter enemies. Uh, once you first encounter them, you don't know what their weaknesses are. Uh, but if you get the scholar character, that's one of his abilities to immediately understand the weaknesses of enemies. Uh, but then it sort of has a persona quality to it where you're trying to, the first time you encounter enemies, you don't know their weaknesses. Uh, but once you do know their weaknesses, if you can hit them with that, uh, they'll be stunned, right? And once they're stunned, uh, you'll be able to d dish out like additional damage. So similar to a persona style, except that in this game they have a different, like a threshold where you'll see that this enemy has three resistance. So you need to weaken them with three of the attacks that they're weak for until you can get that stun on them. And this is kind of cool because I also play with it in ways of like, okay, this enemy rears up for a big attack. So I want to get them down to the one weakness. And then when they're about to rear up for an attack, that's when I'll stun them and that's when I'll make them vulnerable and hit them for a ton of damage. But immediately on the outset, like I said, uh, all the characters sort of have these different ways that they're interacting with enemies and interacting with the world, where the alchemist collects these ingredients, uh, the hunter is capturing, is getting enemies low and capturing them, 
and then summoning them in fights, and which is really great because she's ap- ap- able to capture a different variety of things. So she uh, has all of these different things that, that can exploit vulnerabilities. Okay. But also characters have these path actions, which sort of determines the way that they're going to interact with the world. And the path actions are uh, being able to inquire and gather information from NPCs, uh, being able to provoke NPCs into fighting for you, being able to lure or like guide uh, NPCs away from things or towards certain things, or being able to steal or purchase things from NPCs. And the game also has this reputation system with the way that you use these path actions, where some of the path actions are considered noble and some of them are considered rogue. Uh, so if you're using a noble path action, like Inquire, you can do things that will allow you to raise your reputation with certain towns, uh, which will give you access to better items or cheaper uh, goods and things like that. We call that Paragon and Renegade in my day. Yeah, the thing about noble actions is that they're gated by your level or they're gated by certain things in the game. So, for example, uh, there is a character, the merchant, who is able to buy things off of people and you just pay money for them and that's sort of your gate. Or you can use the rogue path action of that, which is to steal. And if you steal, there's a likelihood that you fail. And when you fail, uh, your reputation goes down. And then you suffer the consequences of that, whatever those are. I'm not entirely sure. So I kind of dig this. Like, like I'm, I'm hes- at one point, I'm like hesitant to get into it. But the entire time that I was playing the game, I was really enjoying it in spite of its awful writing. The writing in the game is awful. Oh, great. Specifically, not, not the writing but the voice acting the oh. english voice acting is just really is there a really japanese terrible. option there is there okay. is a japanese track instead that you can use uh but i but i do really dig the way that like also the thing that like always gets me curious is that you see when when you when you look at the character and it'll say like okay alfin primary class alchemist and then that makes me think does that mean i can change his class and if so what does that look like? And that's sort of always the thing that, that, that gets me curious and gets me excited because right now at the outset, these classes and their abilities, they feel really unique. And there's that word again, unique. Uh, but it makes me want to dig in there and see what's available. But the other thing that has me interested is just that this is an open world game where you could choose to do it. You could choose to just take your one primary character and just proceed through the whole game with them and see what's available and what isn't. But obviously the more fun thing is to sort of move your character through all of the starting towns, pick up, you know, all of the start, all of the other characters, see what their stories are, because as you pick up the characters, you don't have like this main arc overarching story you have all the individual stories of these different characters, which I'm sure at some point culminates into this ultimate grand story. But at the beginning of the game, we just don't have it yet. We have these individual stories that sort of populate the map as you unlock these individual characters, which is kind of cool because like 
you don't have like this story of like some big great evil you have the story of this alchemist who he had his life saved when he was young and now he wants to find that person who saved him and learn that person's secrets learn that person's you know trade and more than anything thank them for what they did and okay. it's not this ultimate story it's this the sort of quieter stories of individuals rather than trying to do this epic good versus evil story that every other JRPG is always trying to do. Mm -hmm. But who knows? Maybe it eventually gets to that. Maybe. Um, it comes out on Friday. I was going to ask. Uh, and I, I and there's a free demo on uh, Switch that I, that yeah, I should try that out. That's what you're talking three about. Hours? But Yeah. Uh, in the three hours, I was able to completely clear two prologues and make it to the prologue city of a third character. If I rushed, I could have probably done a bit more. Hmm. Yeah, I'll check it out for myself. Um, but I've been really burned on these kinds of games, actually. JRPGs well, are just not what they used a, to be. Uh, well, Persona 5 was great. Persona 5 is great, but it's doing something so different. It's not like, like, uh, like aesthetically, it's not that like, like even this game, as you're explaining it, it like it still is like generic fantasy uh jrpg and for sure and and, and then it's you know turn-based and I don't, I don't i still don't know how persona 5 does it uh when i talk about other uh jrpgs they are so lame from a strategy standpoint usually they're really easy usually like they're about grinding if you just grind you can make anything a joke and they're a lot about randomness and critting and stuff and with persona 5 I think the, or with the Persona games in general, like I really love how much strategy is in all the the moments yeah. of that game. Like, uh, the same with like, time, there's crits and everything else in that game as well. Yeah, but, but you try and manage that. Like, you're aware of that, but you have like resources to manage it. And I, I, I really like that. I think you'd be surprised with the combat system in this game and the sort of interesting things that it's doing where every turn you're getting like this anti up this ability this like power charge and then you choose how many power charges you want to invest in a given turn so one thing that's really cool uh with that with that fatigue system where you're trying to hit the enemy multiple times with their weakness is that you can queue up one really large attack if if you uh if their if their sort of spirit is broken or you can ante up tons of smaller attacks if you still need to break through their vulnerabilities. And of course, this gets more complicated where you're juggling multiple characters and you're juggling multiple enemies. And I thought that for what it's worth, I thought Bravely Default had a pretty cool system. Yeah, it was pretty cool the first time I played it. Did you play through it multiple times? Yeah, I think I did. I try and huh. block that out, but uh, I think I played through it a lot of times, maybe too many times. Um, Other than that, I started playing uh, Hollow Knight today. I thought that, um, you know, I was sort of apprehensive about it because I had played, you know, a chunk of this game in the past, but I, uh, I, I played it an hour on the train and I am blazing through it already. I cleared like two bosses in the, in the amount of time that I was playing it. Haven't died once. Uh, looking forward to digging more into that game because I know also that at this point, you know, the Switch port has all of the updates that that game has ever received. Um, and I know that you were also pretty interested in the Switch version for that game. Is that something that you started digging into yet? I, was, I, I feel like I got to, like, redo it because I got, like, 
basically like lost and now I'm having like a hard time finding where the next thing I need to do is and uh I don't know like it, it's a weird like I've I encountered those problems as like a child a lot of times like in in games like I remember in like a lot of Zelda games I would get to the point where I was just like okay I, something made something glitched out or something and there's no way for me to keep going on because I don't remember like where I've been and what I'm what I'm supposed to do and I would have to like restart the game basically to like uh be playing and then maybe this time come across the thing like just in passing that I was getting stuck on and I feel like that's happening to me in Hollow Knight where I'm just kind of like lost like I just don't know where the next thing like I keep I feel like as I'm moving around the map I'm like wait have I ever been to this section I see that there's a little spot that I haven't been to and then I go there and it's like oh no this was that area I forgot this was that area that I've I've been to but I can't currently get over there because I don't have some ability that's going to let me go there. So I'll look at the map again and I'll go somewhere else. And like, I'm just like wand aimlessly wandering around this map that I've found, found like almost everywhere I could really go at this moment, but not the final place, not the place that I really do need to be. Um, but All mostly right. when I'm playing my switch, I'm playing Necrodancer. I'm not, I'm oh, still, that's cool. Yeah, I'm not getting a chance to play like a ton of it, but I'm having more and more fun. Still loving that game. Haven't beaten any of the bosses, having a, lot, a real hard time with the bosses. Cause they'll just like wreck my shit. Like wow. I'll have like seven hearts and they'll just like hit me once or twice and they just kill me. It's crazy. Got to get those patterns down. Yeah. I guess I shouldn't be getting hit at all. You know, like I, maybe I'm just brute forcing it a little bit too much when I should just be watching the patterns for how the bosses move. But that game is really yeah. cool. It is for sure. Any other games on the switch that you're playing or looking forward to playing? Not at the moment. Uh, I, on PC, I'm playing uh, still, you know, Hotsus, Hots, the battle for Blizzard. Um, they yeah, had a really I cool that game. Who's the newest character? Urel. It's a. Really? Uh, uh, I believe she is not in the actual uh, WoW at all, but she's a Draenei paladin. Um, she's pretty cool. Um, I like paladins in general. I don't really feel like. She is like super paladin-y. I almost feel like uh, Joe Johanna is a little bit more closer to an actual like paladin than than this paladin is because sure. this paladin is like not really like she is. She does have heals, but she's more of like a tank that has like CC a little bit. But you know, um, she's she's kind of cool. Uh, uh, there was a big Alterac Valley like new map is added and tons Very of cool. new skins for. Uh, dressing up a lot of characters as Horde or Alliance, so that's really cool. Um, playing more Dragon Ball Fighters, lots of Dragon Ball Fighters. I'm uh, Super Saiyan three rank right now with like what is it like six hundred six hundred ten thousand BP wow. or something. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's been a long time since they announced a character. I feel like they need to. I feel like they were doing characters like almost every two months, and now they're like slowing down or something. Um, and and uh, Dragon Ball Fighters had had recently had a uh, world tour announced by. Uh, How many more uh, characters are uh, guaranteed in your season? I pass? think there's supposed to be four more characters. I think there's supposed to be four more characters. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Blaze Blue released them pretty fast. Have they released any more since the uh, re that other update that added the six? No, but I feel like that's a lot. It's a good chunk of Rue. Uh, but if, uh, at the same time, it doesn't feel like DLC the way that... I, I, okay, so I'm not going to admonish them for this, um, even though uh, all of the characters were 
shipped in the base game because people were able to edit them and play them online, which shows how janky their online in general is that like that was allowed and there wasn't any like sort of like anti-cheat or anything like that. But, um, uh, those characters, like that big group of them dropped like pretty quickly, like a week or two afterwards. And then there hasn't been any like real news or anything uh, after that. And they were like super announced, like the lead up to the game was saying like, yeah, they're going to have these characters. So it doesn't really, feel as much like with Dragon Ball Fighters it, it was out and it was out for like months before they dropped new characters and now they're like doing it slowly and it doesn't obviously doesn't have the sense that like oh they were on the the well, yeah. the disc already or like that we already knew about them it's more of like an ex- a surprise of like here's two more and here's what they're they're about i think that uh one of the really cool things about that game is that right now which one about Dragon Ball Cross Fighters, tag? okay, uh, is that right now in the like competitive scene? Um, a lot of characters were still having like a really wild amount of movement and tier list, which I think is like kind of shocking for a game that like that I would have at, at every point. I feel like in every point of Dragon Ball Fighters' life, uh, like after the first month or two, I was like, okay, the game is figured out. Like now, you need to do more patches to like solve uh balance issues and they're still and not to say that they don't need to do that but i'm just shocked that like like for example gotenks was like an absolute like thought of as like a d-tier character and in like the last month has been moved up from and nothing changed like moved up from a d-tier character to like literally and like like an a-tier s-rank kind of character that people are like oh yeah gotenks is amazing like he's one of the best characters in the game and uh, that's like happening more and more with like like all of a sudden like TN that was thought really bad is now kind of sure. going up into being like just below a like like yeah. a tier just below S tier kind of and then uh, Yamcha which is like everyone knew he had a good assist but thought he was terrible overall and brought the whole team down recently won a major like one CEO like Kazunoko won with uh, Yamcha on the team and and put the final blow with Yamcha so like there has been still constant movement and like watching like that game that that I just thought was so figured out from the beginning uh evolve over time is like really fascinating. If there if there was like like there's like three hardcore S tier characters, uh probably like at least like Bardock, Cell and Kid Boo. Uh if those were like slightly slightly nerfed, like tiny tiny bit, don't handicap them. Don't don't do anything serious, just like slight slight tweaks then I think that game would be at this, like, beautiful kind of uh, balance area where just so much would be viable. Because even right now, with, like, obvious imbalances, there start people are starting to see, like, yeah, Cell is, yeah. Good, Cell is good at everything, but how about taking, like, Krillin and doing some really nasty, like, impossible-to-block mix-ups? people love to hear about. They love to hear about just the technical aspects of... Hey, I didn't these get into frame data, so they so the people and can where they sit on a ladder. The people can f right off. You know, uh, Blaze Blue Cross Tag had its first balance patch last week. Yeah, changes to uh, almost a dozen characters. One thing that I thought was kind of funny is that when they were going through the character changes, they sorted it by. Um, by the character's, you know, IP. So they had the Blaze Blue character fixes, the Persona character fixes, 
the Uniel character fixes. I just thought it was a funny way to do it. I like that. Um, I, you know, I speaking of heroes and characters, I've been playing Overwatch again. Oh yeah, oh yeah, huh? Yeah, I was. So, I, I was also kind of playing Overwatch again, and uh, that game is getting more fun. Yeah, it's weird to go back to Overwatch and actually have like a totally new experience with all of these new maps and all of these fixed characters and most of the issues I had with the game being resolved. And, and you know, resolved with an asterisk because uh, the last that I was playing Overwatch was during like the tank meta where at most you had like one or two DPS on your team because anything a DPS could do, a tank could do better. And that issue seems to be resolved. I don't know if it's been simply replaced with another issue. And that's the reason why I don't know is mostly just because I'm playing mystery heroes. But I will say it is kind of tragic to go back to Overwatch and some people have never left. So you run into all of these people who are like level 1500 and I'm like level 106. Yeah. That's just like that's, that's like the the truly and it's it's so weird cuz I think we've talked about this but now that you're kind of back it's like it's relevant again. I think I think it's really weird that when Overwatch came out or or like a special like beta version of Overwatch like I have such rose tinted goggles for it because everyone sucked. So there was no such thing as a meta. There was no such thing as like you know, this is exactly what teams you should be running. And people weren't like, you know, nailing crazy shots or anything back then. It was like, it, it was, it, it was like, you know, just more screwing around and like everything kind of working and like, uh, just fun. And, and it was, it was like wacky and fun. And I got to, I, I felt like every character I jumped on, like I enjoyed the way they played cause they all felt so different, but like, it's hard to go back to that game as much because when I play even in mystery heroes or something, when you get a character that you don't play that often, instead of having that wacky fun, like, like, oh, wow, yeah, Junkrat, I haven't played on on this guy in a while. I forgot he was, you know, like in the beginning when it would be like, oh, man, I forgot, like, Junkrat is so cool and, like, awesome, I'm lobbing grenades. Like, if you're not good with that character, you just get killed. <laughs> you just get, like, absolutely murdered and you do nothing. So it's it's kind of weird, like, how much the fun has gone down and ha with everyone else getting better and, like, the game becoming more competitive it's lost a lot of that like spark of just like yeah. enjoyment down to sure. like to just being rewarding, you know, like but have you tried being good at video games. What have you tried being good at video games? Uh, no, I'm I, I just uh, I just am uh, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm often told that I'm gay. Uh, and I think okay. that and I from what I surmise, it is a hindrance to my overall play of the game um is that see now this is why we don't have any viewers is that what that means yeah yeah hey listen we've all been online before uh uh it's 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 good though because at the very least like st still a lot of people suck i need to play with people who suck more um and uh the character reworks i think have gone the character re reworks and the addition of the characters ha is starting to hit that that point. Um, I think that uh, like like I I, w I wish that there was a word for it. It's kind of like an event horizon 
Um, you know, like sure. like when Hots came out, that game just we shit all over that that bad boy, and eventually, Hots 2.0, they had you know balanced a lot of things. They had done it over time. They had kind of patched it out the problems we had silently while adding all these characters and maps and extra things and balance changes and all these tweaks and stuff to the game. So when we came in for 2.0, it was like, it was like, wait, all the things I thought you could never, like, I thought Hots was just dead to me and there was no way I could get me back in. But it, like you doing all this at the same time for, for me as like, you know, returning to it, it made it so that like, I'm still now like year later or whatever, still playing Hots intermittently and still thinking about Hots. Uh, and I feel like Overwatch's biggest problem when it came out was just, uh, you know, not enough characters, not moving fast enough. Like, well, like I like I always said that, like, they, the time that they needed to make characters the quickest was in the beginning. That I understand why they take so slow to make characters, but, like, they needed characters then and now because the, the, the meta was so stagnant and, the, and the, the game was so stagnant. It was, like, just so frustrating to play the same people over, the same characters over and over and over again and to uh, just get yeah. sick of them. Well, I can't wait for them to do that with Hearthstone too, right? What if there's just an event horizon for Hearthstone? There can that cannot be possible because uh, uh, Overwatch doesn't cost money when you come back in it, and Hearthstone costs a lot of money. And listen, listen, Hearthstone. I I, I already t- you I turned my back on on Hearthstone. I I I took the keys and I walked out of the door and I went and found myself another sugar baby to spend money on and that is board games board game. and and my yeah. my bank account is in is crippling itself rapidly due to things like cthulhu death may never die and you better not buy that i'm not gonna buy i probably won't buy it but but uh but i can't go back to heart my point is that i can't go back to hearthstone hearthstone did the biggest heart if you think about if you look at my life hearthstone itself was the big money vacuum that I had for a little while in video games. It was the game that, like, you could always spend more and more money on just to open up more and more packs. There would just be those nights where you're just where I'm just drinking, and it's just like, you know what? You know, I, I want to build a different deck, or I want this legendary that I, I have a deck that I had to, like, swap out a different card for a legendary. You know what? I'm going to get it, and I'm going to, like, open up 40 packs and start getting, you know, some goldens and some good shit. And now that's board game, so I can't even go back to Hearthstone if I wanted to because I ain't got the time, ain't got the money. Yeah. Oh, but and I don't want to go back to Hearthstone. I hate that game. I'm glad that I. It took Hearthstone was like an actual literal like addiction. Like it literally, I, I've never felt anything that I was so unhappy with for so long, but was like still spending money on and like wasn't not remotely enjoying it. It's scary because it I, it just makes me think that like of all things like it, it's especially things like Hearthstone that that give you that that scary sense of like what what is the the sunk cost fallacy like that is a powerful sure. that is a powerful psychological tool like you, Blizzard got so many people in the beginning that I really do feel like like you know I, I, if you go onto the Reddit it more most people joke about how. Hearthstone is like crippling their bank account and how they also hate the game at the same time, but they still keep spending money for it. And it's like, it's not really a joke. I bet most people are in a similar place that we are. They just like haven't kicked the habit. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people also complain that um, Path of Exile breaks their bank, but at the same time, they love it. 
but then Pat, but the, the, see, that's so different is like, I get, I, I totally, totally get that. If someone wants to say, you know, Path of Exile is ranking my bank because Path of Exile, firstly, you, you can get, it, there's no sunk cost because if you, if you jump out of Path of Exile now and you come back in two years, then you're still good because no you're better because the things that you have are unobtainable like yeah. less people fewer people have them so it's actually more special yeah if you leave and then come back yeah and then also you know there'll be good improvements to the game you love that will maybe give it a new light but with hearthstone it's like if you jump out and then you want to come back and in, in a like we we haven't you and I haven't even been out of Hearthstone for a year and I feel like I literally could not get back in it at this point because the amount of expansions I would need to buy the amount of like oh god can you even imagine the amount of expansions you need to buy to be able to get like caught up on this like are you curious about like their roguelike mode though at all they had to, they have a roguelike mode that I, that is free that yeah. I did it I did that already I played a bunch and, of that. And this new thing that they've got, the Boomsday Project. Oh, I what think that was a, that's a lethal. That's a it's like a lethal puzzle set of lethal puzzles. So it's like. So it yeah, is during, cards though. During it is um. Cards. That's not, the new expansion. Is it, Boomsday Project? Um no, the new expansion is like it's a goblin themed one because remember how good GVG was. So they're going to bring back some of the things people loved about. Hearthstone, which is a lot of uh, random elements deciding games. Um, so, but uh, I forgot the name of it, of the new expansion, um, but it looks like horseshit, and every card that I've seen leaked is terrible. But the... The, the it, volatile? What? It, it says that it's called the Boomsday Project. Am I totally wrong here? I, I thought that was the lethal puzzle addition to the game, but I and it was like Mechaneers... I don't know. I it, see, it, might, uh, it might be the Boomsday Project. I see something called like um, the volatile. Oh, oh, this is the volatile. Oh no, never mind. The volatile pre-release chart. All currently known cards on one sheet, and that is for the Boomsday Project, which releases on August seventh. Wow. New keyword: magnetic. Minions with magnetic can be played as a minion, or can be used to buff a mech already on the battlefield, giving it whatever it's attached to its attack, health, and text. That's Fancy. pretty cool. I'm not saying that they don't have new ideas. They do. I just can't. I just can't do it. Anymore. Also, you can't get me excited about a goblin themed expansion. Yeah, because when I think of this magnetic, I think, you know, I already backed a Kickstarter board game that already has that feature. And that is Enchanters Overlord. Oh, yeah, yeah. It does the same thing. You stick the stuff on the other stuff. Oh, here's a cool legendary. Uh, Mira's Unstable Element. Myra's Unstable Element. This is a rogue legendary spell that reads, draw the rest of your deck. That's good. You can only have, what is it, 10 cards in your hand? Sounds good. So I'm you... sure that there's I'm sure there's a deck that uses that, though, right? I don't know. I don't uh, know what happens in that game anymore. Yeah. But that, that that was two expansions ago. That was a that was actually one of the only good things I could say about that game hap in the last couple of years. It was a free addition to the game that if you log in now, I believe you could still do. And it's like uh, roguelike runs. It was that um I don't know some like 
uh, Some dungeon room. It was at Treasure. It was Cobalt and Catacombs. Uh, it was during that expansion that they added it, and it's like a treasure run where it's kind of like if you if you imagine like Slay the Spire, but infinitely worse. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, there you go. It's like Slay the Spire if you were having a ton of less fun. It, it's like Slay the Spire if the choices that you make after every single battle of Slay the Spire, you made every couple of games. You know, thinking about uh, Hearthstone also makes me think about the Bazaar, which is Raynad's new drafting game. I backed that. Uh, he released an update today about it, but I haven't read it. I haven't looked at it yet. It's a video. It's a long video. That yeah. could be cool. I have some faith in that game. I have a little faith in that game to not. I, I at the very least, I have faith in that game. If it's, you know, if Raynad is working closely on it, then at the very least, I feel like they'll be they'll attempt very frequent updates and to do a better job, like fielding the issues with the game rather than like leaning into them the weird way that Hearthstone does. Yeah, I feel you. Um, Raynad knows card games better than literally anyone who works at blizzard that's not even hard to say that's not even hard to say in a difficult like it's not like a difficult thing to pronounce that's like or to, or to proclaim it's like just a fact like it's just like a low-hanging fruit it's just a, a the tiniest bar that you need to leap over like most people who play card games or have played card games prior to uh playing hearthstone know more about card games than blizzard it seems as if blizzard learned everything they did about card games when they after they made hearthstone and then even as they were learning it they're like no we don't need to learn this we made hearthstone so, so any other game this week um no nah. i mean no? just you know I, I i could uh could take you over to the the kickstarter corner um the 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 oh, new yeah, segment we yeah. have um, what? What do you should, got? Should I have a mu? I should have music for this. Kirby's Kickstarter corner. A list of my mistakes. Let's see. What are good mis? What are interesting mistakes? Um, just for for people who are down the 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 psychopath the, this this psychopath with me. Um, the uh the the games that uh, are kind of interesting right now on on Kickstarter. Uh would be Eclipse, I think is really interesting. That is getting a second print after seven years. That was a, uh, that was like this really beloved uh, uh, 4X sci-fi game that basically tried to do a lot of what TI is doing. But TI does it over the course of like eight hours. So Eclipse is more of a game that like is going to cut all the 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 fat out and you know in doing so lose some of the stuff that makes a ti but still be able to give you that that ti that space politics and you know space warfare and galactic you know settling yeah i do stuff see you want. some people complaining about that kickstarter on reddit oh well, everyone is complaining about it <laughs> everyone is complaining about it at the same time um uh, but you're okay with it i i hear that i'm not okay some... with it weird with the costs of it i'm 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 not really that okay with it i'm just really i mean i mean okay so for th that, that that's a can of worms you just opened up i was just gonna say the kit that, that eclipses out but uh on on kickstarter and because it hasn't you know they're not printing it for they haven't been printing it for like seven years so uh that that first edition uh the 
whatever it is, the new universe or some shit, uh, the new world, um, that those those prices are ridiculous right now. Some of those small exp- there's a small expansion for that game that that it like adds a lot of good stuff and makes the game a little bit more fun. To, like it, you know, it, it it adds a lot of like nice variability to the groups of people who play that game a lot. That would make it so that it's it's endlessly exciting rather than just like something you'd play. 10 times and be like you know i'm done and that expansion is like 300 dollars right now it's like 309 dollars on amazon and i it probably originally retailed for like it's like 25 dollars msrp and it's like 309 dollars. like to get into eclipse at this point it is worse probably than kingdom death and kingdom death is you know it deserves to be terrible but it just yeah what yeah are you still playing that yeah um, I, I feel like I, I want to, I got nervous because I'm at a really hard part and I can't see to, I can't, I can't bring myself to let what's about to happen next happen. But, um, uh, the, so the issues with the Kickstarter was more that like, I'm a little bit more on board up front because, uh, I want to try out Eclipse, but have no real means of doing so without it being, uh, like, grossly grossly bank breaking uh so so i kind of like want to want to get in on this but um there's a lot of issues like the the overall money that they're asking for doesn't make that much sense and then they're adding an a um an expansion but the expansion that they're adding is all the kickstarter unlocks stretch goals so yeah and you know a lot of the the ways that i feel are like in terms of board gaming, you get a collection of, you know, different styles of games. You get like a worker placement game, you get a drafting game. And I feel like so many of the best board games have a ton of replayability and that replayability, you know, it almost, I I almost want to play more of a game that I already have than I do to buy new ones, which is a very safe, and a very healthy way to go about the habit. Yeah, I feel like sometimes I think about buying new games and sometimes I just think maybe I want to play more Millennium Blades or maybe I want to play more Argent or maybe I want to play more Battlecon. I I have a similar thing, um, but I I think it's interesting because I and I I think ultimately your thing is kind of similar to the way I feel. And that is like I'm I'm getting there. I'm getting there to a point where. The games that I have, I, I'll always scratch an itch that I'm having. But one of the weird things about starting out a board game collection is like you don't know what you want. Um, when I was originally getting into all this, I was watching like I, I, I dove in hard the way that I would with anything that I'm really getting interested in. And I was like nonstop, you know, butt chugging all these shut up and sit down videos and I came across one for for Food Chain Magnate, and man, that game looked dumb. I had no interest in Food Chain Magnate. Everything that I read, some good things, and I saw that was up there high on on Board Game Geek list, and it just it looked like such dumb horseshit to me. Why would you ever want to do that? Like I'm playing, I'm out here playing Gloomhaven, and it's this epic, epic game of like building up a character and unlocking all these boxes. And then people are talking about, Oh, play a, a Euro game where it's about economy. And it's so cool. It's cheap. It's not even a good economy kind of game. It's cheesy. It's about fast food. And it just, it seemed so dumb. And like, I, you could not 
possibly sell me on that game. And it was just like, there's no way in hell I will be interested in food chain magnate. But like, as you play, you just kind of, your tastes develop and you start to say like, I, I'm kind of getting interested in something that's a little bit more balanced that, that takes itself seriously enough that it would like want you to keep playing it over and over again. And then in doing so, the game gets better instead of worse. And now and at gonna... some point there's nothing quite like food chain magnate that you can think of. Yeah. Unless there is, I don't know about it yet. But I think see, see like I think people seem to think there isn't. I think beforehand, I think you you see like that you have your opinion of like, well, for, you know, economy games or something, like I I would rather play I don't know, Splendor. And you can't get into the idea of food chain magnates. Too much work, too dumb, too cheesy. You know what I mean? Too cheesy. Cheese, yeah, but they are not. Cheese even is both a- on a cheeseburger oh. and a pizza. But you, but uh, but as you 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 definitely like play you you start to like want the harder thing you want like it's just the it's like it's like you you smoke that dube and 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 this isn't actually how drugs work by the way but in in uh sure? in dare in dare they would tell me if you smoke that dube then in the next day the next couple days you're gonna have a big whole bag of heroin up your asshole and. I saw someone pull, I, I saw a cop pull heroin out of someone's asshole today, and my first thought was like, shouldn't have smoked that dube two days ago, man. And that's what it is in board games, is that you really start out, you, you for me, it was citadels, you know, your you, you, your life is going fine, your, everything is going okay, and suddenly you're playing citadels, because, you know, you, you, you ran with the wrong crowd, and then you're playing citadels, and the next day you wake up and you fucking bought Gloomhaven. You don't know how it, you don't know how it happened. You don't remember it. You were you were so high off of Citadels last night that you look on Board Game Geeks top one top games of all time and you see the top one is Gloomhaven and you buy it. You don't even remember it. You wake up in the morning and you're like, "What is this getting shipped to me? This 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 monstrosity?" And that's how it happens. You know, it's terrible. It's a more that game. That's it's, a game where I feel like I just don't play it enough. Yeah. I, th- I like I, it every time I play it, but I, I, I don't play it every time. I like it every every time I play it, but it's more about who I play it with because I, I, I am starting to get to the point where it's like I need to see the next thing. The overall playing of that game isn't as good as some of the things that the game is about. And I, I, I hate to say that like I have some issues with it overall now. Like I, I really hope that in the future with like Forgotten Circles that they will especially expand out more of the the narrative because I feel like the narrative for me is just not doing it well enough. Like the little blurbs you get before you do a story don't suck me in as much as I, as I want. I feel like what Gloomhaven is more than anything is like a, you know, it's like Diablo, right? Where, where like you skip through, you, you get to the point where you're skipping through all the cutscenes just to like, get to the action to murder to get the next like drop to like get excited about building up your character but that like the game really should have been more about story that's not true for diablo but but like i just feel like there are games that do like interesting like narrative or world building and like sucking you in a little bit better and gloomhaven doesn't fully succeed in the narrative sense and then for the actual like gameplay, uh, sometimes it can be like long in the tooth for how long it ends up lasting, uh, and right. not always feeling like 
it's always yeah, yeah. like That's like true. when if if so like let's say we sat it down to also who you're playing with with that right because if if two people like i bet if you and i were playing gloomhaven and it was a two-player game we could probably clear scenarios in like 30 minutes yeah but because we wouldn't because you wouldn't take that long to to get your next turn and also i think one of the scary things is that about the more players you play with them just it gets frustrating because you just end up having tons of health on enemies and you yourself get less impactful whereas like in a two-player game you're able to like say like i'm gonna sling a big spell and just like knock something out and then in like a four-player game it's like we're all you know focusing fire on different things and like you know scratching enemies and every all the enemies are dying by a thousand cuts and you have to wait for everyone to go through their turns and someone's not ready and oh wait hold on can can we resend this rule because i thought i was using this card and i forgot that i had to use this card and like wait hold on why is that working like that or or how is you know like the, tons of stuff like that that is like a little frustrating i feel like it, it, it especially as i'm playing board games i thought gloomhaven would be everything i would ever want or need and uh if i'm gonna i think like gloomhaven almost sometimes fails in its moment to moment of just like i just want to get on like with this thing like we're like we're like we're, we're we got a while to go we got a couple more rooms and like people are still picking spells and i know what i want to do let's just can I, let's just go let's just go like it's not even that it's like not even that good at the moment like it's like it moves a little slow and it has none of that like narrative style that like D D would have turn to turn where people are you know making choices and talking to each other it's more like you're just looking at your cards and like slinging them out um i just feel like uh, with a lot of the other games we've been playing recently i'm having more t more fun turn to turn and talking more with my my friends than i would with gloomhaven like with food with food chain magnate i feel like we were even as slow as we were going and as like unoptimal as we were playing i feel like i was always having a blast and we were always talking about the next thing and what people were doing and like and like and just just different cool things that happen in that game and exciting moments that were just constantly happening and i feel like you know it's the kind of thing where like Gloomhaven does a lot of things, but like I think that it needs that they still it's a little rough around the edges. Yeah, that's not to say that know, it's bad. I don't want to sound like I'm saying it's bad. It's it's a good game. I want to play it more. I wonder what those other boxes are. See that, and that I, is another huge thing with I Gloomhaven. Don't think I, would ever, I don't think I could ever like call it quits on Gloomhaven. I, would you? I mean, I can't possibly think about opening those boxes. I can't open those boxes until it's time. But uh, that—that's another thing. Is like I feel like also I'm getting like a little long in the tooth with my character. I thought my character was really exciting, but I, I really might have played with my character like sixty hours now, like fifty hours. Like I've done a lot of scenarios. I'm like level six or something on that character. And I don't even level slow because I'm I level really slow because I'm the the Cragheart, and it took me a long time to start getting cards that would actually give me experience, and I'm just it's taking me a long time, man. I'm like a lot of scenarios in that game, and like I'm not really unlock like I I I want to unlock another thing to kind of get closer to like that vibe that I've got. I don't know, but the only thing I've unlocked so far is Sun. That's the deal with games. Is it okay? Sure. And this has been WTDG Podcast. You can find us online at WTDGpodcast.com on Twitter at 
signed WTDG podcast. We're on iTunes. What's the deal with games where you can rate, comment, and subscribe to the show. Thank you, Ryan Gallon and Crying for the use of their music. We use the intro and outro to revive off the new album, Beyond the Fleeting Gales. You can find them at the Run for Cover Bandcamp. Okay, uh, prediction. We, and you know, this is our new segment. Uh, we close out the podcast by predicting a character that's going to be in the new Smash Brothers game. I think that the brand director from Food Chain Magnate will be in Smash Brothers. Um, I okay. I want to. I want to throw a wild turn and i want to say it's pizza chef thanks ryan it's pizza chef that that can that be our new our new outro is just it's pizza chef do you know that face it's pizza chef okay it's it's pizza chef do you know that face james can you think of the face right now that face of pizza chef thanks ryan thank you james